Welcome to season four of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life into your service, family, and home. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to take this opportunity to invest in you. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I am so thrilled to reintroduce a good friend of mine, Dr. Les Parrott, to the podcast. You may have remembered us talking with him a couple years ago, actually, for the Independent Military Spouse Wellness Summit. Um, it was a virtual summit we had a couple years ago, and the theme was on marriage. And we invited Dr. Parrott to come and speak with us a little bit about how to build a stronger connection in your marriage. And he was so gracious to come back to the Life Giver podcast and talk with us today about how we can invest in our marriages through um, lots of different ways. He has lots that he can talk with that he has to share with you. But let me just start off by saying, Dr. Parrott, thanks so much for joining us again for another episode. Absolutely. Thanks, Corey. Always an honor to be with you. Well, you are very well known out there for um, not only what you're doing for marriages, but also your wife joins with you on occasion for um, retreats and conferences and speaking engagements. You guys have put out a whole bunch of books on marriage and communication, um, intimacy, how to fight better. There's so much that we could cover, but you also have us like several assessments that you've created that will help marriages take a good snapshot, look at their relationship and ways that they could better their relationship, deepen their relationship, increase communication and all that. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, would you mind just taking us back just a little bit and sharing with us a little bit about how did you build so much of this and why assessments for marriages? Yeah, well, um, uh, as you uh, recount all that, I'm just exhausted thinking about that. You're right. A lot of speaking, a lot of books and, and assessments. We've been busy uh, staying out of trouble, focused on how to help couples really enjoy lifelong love in every way it was meant to be. And um, part of our journey on the way to creating some assessments, we're going to talk about one today, I think, called Better Love. We have three primary assessments, one for single adults called Yada, another for counselors and, and chaplains and coaches called Symbis, S-Y-M-B-I-S, that's saving your marriage before it starts. But uh, we're going to focus, I think, a little bit on this one for direct to couples called Better Love. And one of the ways we got to this whole thing was when I was sitting at a kitchen table in Los Angeles with a friend of mine. It was late at night. His name is Neil. And uh, Leslie, my wife, Leslie, was there. We've been married at this point. We've been married 30, 34 years. Well, uh, this past June. And uh, his wife, Marilyn, we had a little bite to eat. And, and we're just kind of having a relaxing conversation. And Neil says, this is about 20 years ago, Neil says, uh, hey, I wonder if you could use this new thing they're calling the internet. I wonder if you could use it to better match people online. And, uh, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I was wondering, he said, I wonder if you could change the divorce rate if you could help people be more smart about finding their lifelong love. And well, that conversation was pretty intriguing and lasted into the wee hours of the evening. And uh, we all woke up the next morning feeling energized by a concept that Neil really had planted this vision for. And that became the company that a lot of people know as eHarmony. And so we were with eHarmony on the front end from the very beginning through the years of, of all of its success. And 
learned a ton about how you can leverage technology uh, for, um, you know, the science of love, how you can really leverage technology to help couples enjoy love at the highest level. And I can remember even in the context of building that whole project out with Neil and building a team and so forth, I remember saying to him one day, man, I, I want to do the same kind of thing we're doing here for singles. I want to do that for couples that are already matched. In other words, I want to bring some the science of this technology to help couples uh, on their path to lifelong love uh, once they already find the love of their life. And so that really is how this whole thing began. Leslie and I wrote a, a book along the way called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And that took off and Oprah had us on and, you know, Barbara Walters and all the rest. And so opened up incredible opportunities, but we never let go of that little vision to create a tool, an online tool for couples to really enjoy love at the highest levels. Well, Dr. Perry, I know you're also a psychologist, so um, doing assessments and using that technology is something that is not only something you're passionate about, but also that information that you gather through assessments says a lot about a couple and a lot about um, giving couples a good in inside look at how they're really doing. That's something that psychologists um, are known to do. And there, I know there's a lot of people out there that don't know the difference between a counselor versus a psychologist versus a psychiatrist. Um, but is that a little bit of your story too, as far as um, your love for the assessments and creating those assessments? Yeah, um, I'm a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and Leslie is a marriage and family therapist. And so with that training and that background, um, you know, of course, you can do traditional counseling. And I worked in a hospital for uh, a couple of years and worked on the head injury unit and the burn unit and some pretty intense places and doing medical psychology. And uh, in fact, I remember coming home after my first few weeks there and every day I would have this some dramatic story of a patient that I saw. And uh, I remember saying to Leslie, I said, is this going to be my life? Am I just going to come home at the end of every day with this incredible story of somebody's accident or this thing that happened over here or whatever? And it became really oppressive to me. And I, I realized that is not the kind of work I was cut out for. It was about the same time that some students at a university where I was teaching invited Leslie and me to come over to a residence hall and give a talk. And they, they gave us the title. They said, we want you to talk on how to fall in love without losing your mind. And uh, we said, well, that's intriguing. You know, how do you improve your love IQ uh, in the midst of the dizzying experience of falling in love? And so um, we did that. We made our way over to the residence hall and it was like 10 o'clock at night, like often things are on a college campus. And, and, uh, and there's this, and they said, how many people should we expect at this? And they said, well, if, if everybody on the floor shows up, you know, we might have a couple dozen at the most. And okay. We showed up at this residence hall and there was like, um, I don't know, this line coming out the, the entrance to the, the building. And this was in the middle of, February and it was rainy and dark in Seattle. I was thinking, wow, I wonder what's happening here. Well, it turns out they're all lined up to hear us speak, not because of who we are, because we were brand new to the campus, but it was uh, because of the topic. And that was such a palpable, salient kind of experience that it really became formative. It created a pivot point. And so while I was, you know, 
doing medical psychology and sensing this incredible need from our students, uh, Leslie and I said that next spring, let's do an event, you know, just a few months later, let's do an event for our students on how to help, how to build healthy relationships and lifelong love. And that was that was kind of the pivot point. But yes, you're right. Bringing our our practice as psychologists to the you know to the whole enterprise is key for sure. Well, I know you mentioned that you and Leslie have been married for over 30 years now, and um, I know for a fact that a lot of what you guys do and what you write about and what you work on and what you speak about um, comes from your own marriage and the things that you guys have implemented in your own marriage. Um, and I, and I hope maybe if we have some time today, you can kind of share some quick tips of things that you guys have figured out after being married for almost 30 years. Um, so, but let's talk about the better love assessment because it's a beautiful assessment. Um, and so why don't we just actually go back to a second and talk about what is the better love assessment? Um, and specifically, since we have military and first responder couples that are listening, why would it be beneficial for them to do an assessment like this? Yeah, well, here's the concept real quick. Um, a couple, each person in the couple can go online and answer a series of questions. It takes about maybe 15 minutes. And they each do that separately. And as soon as the second person in the couple has answered the last question, within seven seconds, <laughs> through the magic of technology, it will generate this 10-page uh, report on their relationship. And I know as soon as I say that, some of our listeners are cringing, thinking, oh, that's like the last thing I want is a report on my relationship. Um, but it's not that kind of report. It's not evaluating. It's not grading. Um, it's simply really building a life, kind of a customized roadmap to lifelong love for just the two of you. And, um, you know, one of the things that Leslie and I often say when we're speaking at a, at a seminar or something like that is that there's never been a marriage like years before and there never will be again because you're so, you know, you bring this myriad of personality traits and so does your partner into can create this chemistry between the two of you. And so what we want to do is create a, a, a report, um, a customized roadmap that is so specific to the two of you. It may not make any sense to other couples, but it's tailored just to you. And so that's what it's about. You take the assessment, you take the questions online, and uh, it generates this report, 10 pages, and it's infographic. It's not just heavy, you know, it doesn't look like a report from an accounting office. It's, it's you know, fun and interactive. And in fact, there's no blame, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no finger pointing. It's all designed to be uplifting, upbeat. And it also comes with this little um, action plan so that you can kind of unpack the report together and um, really even do some date nights to do it. We kind of outlined four potential date nights that you can go on as you unpack a couple of pages of the report each time on a date. And so it's really the emphasis is on fun. The emphasis is on further awareness and deeper empathy. And when you can bring those three things into a relationship, it's not bad. That's, that's pretty, pretty uh, you know, exhilarating for most couples. Can I ask you a question about, you just mentioned um, the importance of empathy in the relationship. And I think that's a lot of what this assessment does. Like it, it not only does yeah. give you that snapshot of yourself and your communication style and um, your view of everything from spending money to how you 
engage conflict. I mean, it is a good self-assessment, but I think that it also helps you understand your spouse better. And that's one of the questions that I get a lot. And maybe you get it a lot too, which is, you know, most couples get to this place in their marriage. Maybe it's a few years into their marriage where the honeymoon you know, is over and people really start struggling with the personality that they've chosen to marry. <laughs> and yeah. empathy is a huge piece of being able to put yourself in your spouse's world, understand where they're coming from and choose to love that, but also respond to that even in conflict. And so when you say that empathy is a huge part of this, what do you mean by that? Well, I've often had this kind of dream, this fantasy that uh, we could give every person in the world that gets married a bottle of empathy. Can you imagine like a spray bottle that you could just like just spray that empathy into your relationship? It would change everything. We know this from research, you know, Um, mutual empathy is probably uh, the single most important skill set that a couple can cultivate. And most of us, the research also shows us this, most of us think we do this better than we actually do. Um, But let's make sure we know what we're talking about. As you alluded to, empathy is that capacity to accurately see the world from another person's perspective, to imagine what life must be like to be lived in their skin, to look out through their glasses, to see it that way. That's empathy. And here's what we know about it. It it involves your head and your heart. Empathy is not just... uh, um, one or the other, we confuse, you know, sympathy with empathy. I often tell, tell my counseling students at the university that sympathy is staying on the shore and throwing out a life ring to somebody that's struggling in the water. And everybody does that. You know, any decent human being would do that. That just flows with the adrenaline. Empathy is much more risky. It's diving into the water and risking your own well-being to bring that person to shore. And not everybody does that. It's very rare. In fact, that's so rare uh, that, you know, we, we call those people heroes, right? It's a heroic effort to risk your own well-being to bring this person to safety. And it's just as heroic when we do this in our relationship. When we put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, it's risky because it'll change you. Once you see the world from somebody else's perspective, you don't look at them anymore. And you start to go, oh, okay, well, if I grew up in that kind of a home, I can kind of understand why you'd behave in that kind of a way or, or what have you. You know, it begins to change your perspective. It kind of opens up the window for more grace, more understanding, more patience, all the things that you want that go into a loving relationship. And that's why empathy is so vital. It's so important. And by the way, women tend to sympathize quicker and easier than men, but men will analyze uh, quicker and easier than most women, and uh, just in general terms. So men will kind of stand back, analyze the situation, and go, oh, if I was in that person's shoes, I know what I would do or how I would feel and what I would say. So, But that's cerebral, right? That's with your head. And then empathy, or I'm sorry, sympathy is all with your heart. But empathy is it's like two wings of an airplane. You need both your head and your heart. You need your feelings as well as your analytical capacity to stand back and go, oh, okay, uh, I'm not you. I know how I would behave if I were you, but I'm not you. Let me make sure I accurately understand that. So when you bring those two things together, your head and your heart, that's where you will find at that intersection, you will find the heart of empathy. And like I alluded to earlier, most of us empathize, most of us think we empathize better than we actually do. 
But this better love assessment that we're about to dig into is going to show you in very specific ways, really almost step by step, how you can do this for each other at a level that you've never done before. And like I said, I wish we could give it as a wedding gift, you know, uh, just a bottle of empathy. Obviously, we can't do that, but we can give this better love assessment. And it comes pretty close to helping couples do that. And so that's why I'm, as you can tell, I'm pretty passionate about it. No, and I am as well. And um, I've used it with many couples. And it, and like you said, it's a beautiful report. It's something that you get really excited to get in your inbox because, um, you know, it's not just your typical text of a, of a report. It's a beautifully laid out, colorful um, report that I agree, I think would be great to be able to have couples take on a date night and to talk through, um, especially in a positive way, talking through your similarities and your differences and and having some, and if, if you can, probably having some honest conversations about some of the topics that are more difficult to talk about. And this report can really do a good job of helping you start those conversations, even if that's a topic that normally is harder to do without engaging conflict. That's true. And it's, it creates kind of a safe place for couples to process some things that maybe they've been putting off but also to discover some pretty exciting and fun things about the relationship. And so it's kind of like, it's not, this isn't one of those experiences where like, Oh, I guess we got to go through this. You know, it's, it's usually most couples are like, this is cool. Let's see what's on the next page. So it, it can be really fun. Now, a lot of people that have listened to me um, know that I also do the strength finder assessment with Gallup and Gallup talks about empathy being a strength that comes easier to some than others. The way that you mentioned mm -hmm. sympathy coming easier to women sometimes than men. Um, I see, I just kind of have a question on what your thoughts are on this. And a lot of the couples that I work with that are first responder and military couples, we, I feel like I generally see... Um, the serving spouse, which is stereotypically men, but the serving spouse being more of that analytical type, being um, someone that's a little bit more logical or strategic. And I think that may be because they're attracted to this lifestyle um, because it is such a, a job that is... Um, logical and strategic and empathy. It's not, a, it's not the empathic type of job that they're taking on. And I, they also tend to attract women who are their opposites that are very empathic. And so this is a, this is a big issue that I see a lot for couples. And I was just wondering what your thoughts were on how to work with a couple where you have a spouse that is very empathic. It's very easy for them to put themselves in their spouse's shoes and the sp other spouse who's maybe the direct opposite. That's very logical, analytical, that struggles to have empathy or at least exercise it quickly. Yeah. Uh, well, I know exactly what you mean. And I'm a big fan of strengths finder too. And in fact, just within the last 48 hours, my 16 year old son, he was traveling with me on a trip to Chicago. We live in Seattle and, Anyway, uh, he was on the airplane and he said, dad, he said, uh, uh, one of my strengths is one of my signature strengths is, is empathy. And, uh, and, and he was reading what that means to me in, in the paragraph that he was, you know, pondering it and so forth. And he said, I, he said, I just think I feel people's pain more than other people feel it. And that's a pretty good summary of at least in the, within the context of, 
of StrengthsFinder, what uh, we're getting at there. And when you bring that into a marriage relationship or any relationship, of course, that means that that person that's kind of, you know, it's, it's an intuitive sense. It's they're kind of finely tuned for that empathic capacity. Um, when you bring that into the relationship and the other person doesn't have that, what will end up happening in, depending on their personality type, of course, what will end up happening is that you can sometimes feel judged by it because, oh, I guess, I guess I'm an idiot because I didn't, I didn't notice that in that person or whatever. That's one risk of it. Um, and then the other is that, that, that person that has that kind of tender heart, that, that, that capacity to, to serve and, and uh, sense somebody else's pain uh, really needs to work at uh, balancing that out with that analytical capacity mm-hmm. I mentioned. Because in StrengthsFinder world, it really is leaning toward, at least from my understanding, and that's you know, been studying this for a long time, but from my understanding, it leans more towards the sympathy side of things, even though that's labeled as, as empathy. So balancing that out with that, you know, analytical perspective. And generally speaking, in a lot of relationships, a lot of marriages, as iron sharpens iron, we help each other do that. Because just because that's somebody's strength, it doesn't mean they're always accurate, right? Um, they still need to have that capacity to stand back. So there's a lot of, um, really insight they can gain when they're with a a spouse that doesn't necessarily share that same strength. I, I love that you said that because I think that's one of the things that I try to encourage spouses to do as well is that it may come more natural to you. It may be easier for you that, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn from our spouse and the way that they approach the marriage too. that we kind of, like you said, that iron sharpens iron. It really does make for a better marriage and it makes I think it sharpens you as a person. It adds depth of character when we have to see um, from our spouse's perspective that they're also bringing something really great and strong to the marriage too, even if it looks different from you. And I think that's why the assessment is so great because it clearly lays out, you know, your side and his side and how you both are different and how are you the same. Um, and I think it does a really good job of helping maybe introduce those conversations of empathy and asking good questions and seeing your spouse from a different angle. Well, yeah. And on the very first page of the report that you receive on the, the Better Love Report, and by the way, people are probably wondering, oh, okay, you're talking about it. where do I find it? It's the betterlove.com, betterlove.com. And but anyway, on the very first page of content on the report, just after the introduction in the in the cover page, is this little thing we call the personality pinwheel. And it's got these eight different personality types. And it gives you a paragraph describing where you land on one of those eight and where your spouse or your partner lands on one of those eight. And so you can read through the description. And and if you look at the, the pinwheel, you'll see that the people on the upper half of it are basically task-oriented people and people on the bottom portion of it are, are people-oriented. So task-oriented versus people-oriented. And then people on the right side are fast-paced and people on the left side are slow-paced. So what does that mean? Well, this kind of person that has that kind of giftedness for you know, sympathy and, and empathy, they're obviously going to be more people-oriented. And by the way, my wife is that way. She's like a professional empathizer. She's so gifted at it. I have to really work at it because I'm fast paced 
and I'm task oriented. Give me a to-do list. Let's get, let's conquer something today. Every day starts at zero, you know, and, and so I can be kind of driven that way. Leslie helps me in that fashion, but what the risk in our relationship is she will. And, and by the way, in our nomenclature on this thing, she's what we call a, an affirming spouse. So she's people oriented and fast paced. And I am a pioneering spouse. I'm task oriented, fast paced. And by the way, our oldest son is people-oriented and slow pace. We call him unwavering. Those are really loyal souls. And so anyway, when you, you're on that kind of side of the, the little pinwheel, it just means that, okay, yeah, you might have that kind of giftedness to really understand somebody else's pain, but it doesn't mean you're always right. And so as you're reading through the little paragraph that described that, what we always suggest is underline anything that you resonate with and scratch out anything you disagree with. And by the way, the little paragraph there has 40,000 potential variables that go into it. And what that means is that paragraph is on nobody else's report, only yours. So you'll never see that, that exact same report. So you can both be on the exact same place in a couple the two of you could be in the same, you know, like you could both be energizing spouses, but your paragraphs are still going to be unique because of, because they're so multi, you know, fasted. And so that's what gets us to empathy. When you begin to read that, like I said earlier, you increase your level of self-awareness and you deepen your capacity for empathy. And it's very difficult to do that without a tool like this, because we just, you know, we don't have an x-ray of our spouse's personality. And we aren't always in tune with how we're hard, hardwired as well. So an objective little tool like this, even on a single page, can work wonders for a lot of couples. Now, I think I heard you say just a second ago that in that paragraph, it gives you some things that you have similarities in, but then there were a couple of things that were differences and you said to put those away. Is that what I heard well, you say? I said, if, if, I said, if there's something that you're reading about yourself that you disagree with, Feel free to draw oh, a line okay. to it, scratch it out. But okay, what I thought I you also were saying that you did not address like what was um, that you, something that you saw in your spouse. <laughs> so oh no! In fact, just the opposite. What I'm saying is, you can feel free to scratch out a sentence that you don't agree about yourself, but you have to explain that to your partner. So let's say the paragraph says, uh, "Hey, based on you know how you answer the questions and." And your personality type, you tend to be tardy to a lot of things, you know, or late to a lot of things. And you might think, oh, I don't do that at all. You know, I'm going to scratch that out. Uh, and, and I can't even think of a single example of when I'm late to something that matters. And we say, always ask your spouse what they think of that. And you might be surprised how often your spouse will go, are you kidding me? <laughs> Weren't you late to this thing that we're at right now? Oh, oh, I guess I was, right? That's, that's awareness. And by the way, awareness is curative. Once you become aware of something, then you can begin to do something about it. So, but that's what I was saying. I'm glad you clarified because no, it's not like, oh, if you disagree, don't talk about it. The very opposite. You, you got to process that together. Well, here's the other thing about being made aware about yourself as a couple um, is that once you see this assessment, you it's really hard to say, like it really does hold you accountable to the fact that you now know, right? Like once you know, you're forever changed by the fact that you now know. You can't ignore that something's there. You can't yeah. not address. I mean, you could, but 
it's denial at that point. And so I think that being able to see your relationship soberly to see and understand your spouse through a different perspective, it, it opens up so many opportunities that why would you not go after that? Yeah. And so I'm, I actually have mine open. Um, that was for me and Matt and it's so, so accurate. I mean, we've been married 20 years now. And so when I think about some of the things that we've brought up, even in conflict of, of things that he's asked for me to change or things for me, he's asked for me to address um, or be more mindful of, you know, I'm looking at our communication style, what you were just talking about as far as our um, personality styles. And I'm, the, of course, the deliberating spouse and he's the energizing spouse, which is, of course, completely accurate of the two of us. I'm like the stable. He's, all, he's often described me as like the, the house in the middle of the tornado. Like he's the tornado and I just ground him sometimes. Um, of course, he also has the capacity to really work me up and uproot all of that too. And so it's a great, wonderful dynamic that happens between the two of us as both of strength, but also how we can affect each other. But one of yeah. the things I wanted to point out as far as the communication styles, um, you know, what, what well, actually, let me interrupt you before you oh, even yeah. get into communication. Just to mm -hmm. so so you guys are direct opposite when it comes to fast yes. pace and slow pace. He's super fast paced, He's so fast. the energizing spouse. Uh, you're uh, relative to him. You're slow paced. You're deliberate. You're conscientious about the next step, and he might be a little bit more impulsive sometimes uh, because he's moving so, so quickly. And he's <laughs> yeah, and he's he's built for speed, right? And so that's, that's a great example of how um, couples at opposite ends of the continuum still find ways to be effective together. It doesn't, and, and I want to make sure people that are listening in don't think, oh, so this guy, he was with eHarmony, so is it going to tell us whether we were a good match or not? No, no, no. That's not the point. It's just awareness. There's not one that's better or worse than the others. It's just becoming aware of how we, how we're designed our hardwiring. And so that very insight, as simple as that might sound to recognize, Oh, okay. So as Corey, I'm saying, all right, so I'm, I'm kind of a relatively slow pace compared to my husband. And what does that mean? And that's what we help you unpack in the report in really practical ways, including what you were about to talk about communication. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point because um, on the on the wheel that you described earlier, we are direct contrasting from each other. And honestly, the more couples that I work with, the more excited I personally get when I see couples that almost seem exactly opposite from each other, because I know that that can create a lot of conflict. I know that that can create a lot of tension. But going back to what you said about that iron sharpens iron, um, I desperately need Matt in my life to be that impulsive, spontaneous, energizing person. I have embraced the fact that I am a serious, deliberate, you know, internal processor. And that can, you know, that can rub each other the wrong way sometimes. But for the most part, he is a strength for me. He is that person. If you, if anybody's been listening to this season, you know, we, I've been very open with the recent move and how difficult that move was. Well, that's a lot because I am that slow, slow paced, disciplined, um, 
difficult to adapt at times kind of person or kind of personality. And he's cast vision so many times on the adventure of it, of kind of um, embracing the difficulty. And I love the fact that it says on our report that he's persuasive as an energizing spouse, because he is, even with the strength finder, he comes back as a high influencer. And if you listen to the episode before this, you know, he is very persuasive in a good way and casting that vision and helping me kind of step outside of, you know, whatever is making me feel uncomfortable or whatever might be um, kind of making it difficult for me to move forward if I feel stuck. And I'm so grateful for that in him, but it's taken so many years for us to acknowledge those differences and to see them as strengths in each other. And, and that's, I mean, that's going back to what you just said, it's not about compatibility. It's about, can you be aware of yourself and be aware of your spouse and see whatever those similarities or differences are and see it as a strength that's being brought to the marriage. And that person is in your life for a very good reason, not just so that you can have a companion to do life with, but that it's also somebody that makes you better if you're willing to see that they're bringing the best version of themselves to you. Right. And when you both begin to set aside, you know, your own self-interest on occasion, even if it's just for a moment or two, and so you can play second fiddle and put that person's need first, and then that's reciprocated, that's when life gets pretty sweet, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because you're exactly right. It's not about compatibility. It's about connectivity in spite of all of our differences. You know, we, we often used to say at eHarmony, opposite the track. And then they attack because everybody thinks, oh, opposite the track. And it does feel that way because it doesn't matter who you are with. Eventually, you feel like opposites. Oh, man, you're a night owl and I'm really riser. Whatever it is, you will find things that are different about you. But truth be told, we're attracted to people that share our deepest values. that are the same and, and so forth. And yet in spite of that, we will discover it just feels like we're a world apart sometimes until we learn to, okay, survey my emotional landscape here, become a little more self-aware, set aside some of my selfish desires so I can meet this person's need and put their needs above mine, at least in this moment. I can't do that all the time, but I can in this moment. You know, when you begin to live that way, uh, like I said, life gets pretty sweet. Can you expand on that just for just a moment, the importance of being able to push down your own selfish desires and tend to the other person because it's such a huge part of marriage. Yeah. And what ends up happening for most of most of us think that, that um, if, if I sacrifice my needs, that means I give up my rights and that gives up my needs and my dreams. And that's not what I'm talking about. You know, the greatest love poem ever written uh, in my opinion, uh, and it were uh, the apostle Paul is talking about love in Corinthians and, and, says, you know, some people will, will like give away everything they have, they'll burn at the stake, and they call that love, and it's not love. Um, it's not even close to love, because love is not just about sacrificing. It may not be about sacrificing at all. It's just simply about meeting that other person's needs. So the, the, the virtue is not what you're doing without. The virtue is whether or not that you're helping that person get their, their needs met. And like I said, that is often reciprocated. In fact, we even have these things called mirror neurons. And so when in a a marriage relationship, for example, when your spouse does something, let's say they're particularly kind, or let's say they, um, 
um, are non-defensive when you think they might have been or what have you. Um, we will tend to mirror that back. It's like it's contagious. It's built into our DNA. We will tend to mirror that back. And so it only takes one person to kind of set aside their selfish agenda in order to meet somebody else's needs, and that will eventually come back to you. Uh, not always, but the chances of that happening. And so that's why even on the second page of this Better Love report, uh, as far as we know, it's the only personality assessment in the world that will take two unique personality types and show you how they dance together. What are the strengths they bring together? And again, we do a combo paragraph on the two of them. And once you are seeing, oh, okay, so this is the chemistry between us. This is how we solve problems together. This is how we make decisions together and, and so forth. It just makes it easier for you, both of you, to set aside your personal agendas of self-interest and in exchange, kind of free up or hold loosely your own selfish desires so that the relationship can win. Not just you, but both of you together can win. That's the, that's the goal. And, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed I mentioned that word agendas because we all have agendas. That's what keeps us focused on ourselves. You know, we have an agenda. What are we going to do after this interview? I have an agenda. What are we going to do for dinner tonight? What am I going to do after dinner tonight? Uh, you know, we, I have an agenda about how I'm going to uh, arrange dishes in the dishwasher. I mean, silly things to important things. We have agendas. And when we're focused on those agendas, it, it keeps us from focusing on somebody else's agenda. And that's why this idea coming back full circle to empathy allows us to do just that. Set aside our selfish, self-focused agendas in order to meet somebody else's needs. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, Dr. Pear, I know that you've had the opportunity to work around first responders um, and some military as well. What are you seeing um, with that community? Anything in particular that stands out to you? Well, I, you know, I, I, every once in a while, uh, Leslie and I have the honor of getting to speak on a military base or or something like that. And it's just always the, the very first thing that usually strikes us again and again is sometimes these people are just so young. These people that are serving our country and making uh, incredible sacrifices for us are just so young. That's the first thing I always am taken aback by. And then I, I realize um, the investment that so many put into um, this task, this job at hand of being a first responder, that's, that, that sometimes it takes their eyes off of being able to invest in themselves, particularly within their own relationships. And so that's why I feel like something like, you know, this, this assessment that we're talking about is so vital because it'll help them to kind of refocus where all their energy and focus and compassion and so forth and diligence is going out, out, out to be able to rein some of that in so that they can make sure they're fighting strong for the home front, not just for what's going on around them. No, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I, I agree with you that it's a lifestyle where um, I see a lot of supporting spouses who struggle definitely with putting themselves first or at least taking care of themselves. Um, and a lot of what they do every day is taking care of the kids and, and the schedule or their job, or maybe they're in school and, and they really save themselves for last. Um, mm -hmm. 
I see um, a lot of our first responders and serving spouses, you know, doing the same. They're so focused on doing what they need to do for their job and having chaotic work schedules that even a date night is hard to arrange. And, and I know that this isn't just within our community. It's, it's within every marriage, but it is really hard at the end of the day, especially if you've been married for a little while to, um, get to the end of the day and shift your focus to each other instead of living yeah. kind of shoulder to shoulder and what needs to get accomplished today for the kids or for the schedule right. or for whatever might be going on to actually shift your focus. And I see that struggle a lot um, for couples, especially in the serving community. Um, because those schedules are off, some of our first responders are doing crazy shifts where they go back and forth between a day shift and a night shift. Um, some of them yeah. are, some of our firefighters are working two days on and one day off kind of thing. Um, and then of course we have our military, you know, some of them are even on a deployment. And so, um, that's one of the things that I think, um, doing something like this, I get a lot of questions like, what can we do for date nights? How do we arrange date nights or, or add yeah. value or depth to our date nights when you're so tired of just doing the dinner in a movie or binge watching yeah. on the couch. Um, yeah. but even in a deployment, being able to do something like an assessment like this, where it starts conversation. I think that that's really what makes a great date night is good conversation. And if you can turn that inwardly and affirm each other yeah. and say, I see you and, um, an assessment like this kind of helps you skip ahead and, and jump to that instead of trying to find those words yourself. That's a great yeah. start to a great date night, even if it's a date night through Skype or through um, FaceTime during a deployment. Yeah, because it's automatically an investment in the relationship, right? We're making a deposit in the proverbial love bank here when we, we do something like this, like take the assessment together. Have you ever heard there's a phenomenon with first responders known as St. Elsewhere syndrome? Have you ever heard of that before? I haven't. No, tell me about that. St. Elsewhere syndrome is where everybody else gets the best of this person that I'm with. Yes. And uh, they're a saint elsewhere. And then they come home and I get the worst. I get the leftovers. I get the like exhausted, tired, frazzled <laughs> remainder of this person after they've given everything they've got to other people, the St. Elsewhere syndrome. And so if that's you, you know, if that's, if you're that person that is out there doing that, you've got to take inventory of what that is doing to your relationship as a first responder so that you're not always just giving your best to other people, but not to the people that matter most to you on the home front. And that's really a decision, right? That's a conscious decision. So that, and, and I've worked with some first responders, even on something as practical as, hey, before you walk in the front door, Take one lap around the block and just gather your thoughts, take some breaths, you know, make sure that when you come in the home, people are going to be glad to see you. Uh, make sure there's a greeting there. You know, the first 15 seconds of how you greet your spouse at the end of the, get the day uh, has so much to do with setting the tone for the rest of the evening together. And so little tiny things like that can make a world of difference in how life is lived on the home front for first responders. It doesn't have to be this Herculean huge effort to, you know, up, upheaval and overhaul to um, turn things around. If you guys, you know, if, if somebody's listening to us and feels like, man, we're just really struggling right now. Sometimes the smallest of changes can help make that happen. 
That's a great idea. And no, I actually feel pretty convicted um, about the St. Elsewhere um, because I think, you know, even in the helping profession, I think we run the risk of doing that as well. Um, sure. I think there's a lot of chaplains and chaplain families that are listening that I think would probably hear that because when you're giving so much to other people or when you're giving so much to a job that requires you to serve other people throughout the day, I can see how um, we all could do that just a little bit better. And I know that's something I'm going to keep in mind um, even this evening as far as, you know, that yeah. first, you know, 15, what did you say? The first 15 seconds or 15 minutes? Maybe yeah, so- 15 seconds, just 15 seconds to make sure there's a tender touch and, and there's a focus of eye contact and, and, a, and a genuine like, hey, how are you doing? You know, that's, that's different than just breezing through the door and saying, hey, where's the mail? And you also have older boys now, I believe. And so how important is that modeling that those first 15 seconds, even if you have kids running around? Yeah. You know, I always say that so many times in in a family, family life at home, when everything's a buzz and the kids are little and everybody's desperate for needs and, and everything feels urgent and chaotic that don't forget, you know, in that moment, you're walking on holy ground. You know, those are moments that are going to evaporate. And even when those, those two little siblings might be squawking and going at it, that's holy ground. And you have the opportunity in that moment to be fully present, to get down on their level. And it, it doesn't take long. I'm not talking about these huge sacrifices of time, but when you can enter that world and just be present for a moment when you might be tempted to just go, oh my goodness, it feels like people are hanging off the chandeliers in this house. I can't stand it anymore, you know, because it's so chaotic. Um, that, that might be tempting because, you know, you've given and given and given of yourself out there as a first responder, but um, if you can just, like I said, it's that proverbial walk around the block, take a deep breath, come in to be your best self, even for just a few moments before you have to retreat and regroup yourself. And if I can just add to that, you know, I hear from a lot of people that if, especially the first responders that are coming in late at night after your family has gone to sleep, I can't tell you the number of spouses that I hear from that they hear you come through the door, they hear you take off your gear, um, that that 15 seconds that that it would not be wasted for you to come in and wake them up and greet them and say hello, even if you need to go and watch a TV show to, to unwind or decompress, that that 15 seconds is so valuable even to go and greet your spouse, even at the risk of waking them up. But that's a very sweet way to still come in the door and acknowledge that 15 seconds greeting. And, and let me just uh, add on to that, that sometimes depending on, you know, your schedule and how your, your needs are and how you're built and hardwired, that you can also just come in. And if you need that time to go, Hey, I need 15 minutes, I need 20 minutes, and then I'm going to be with you. And you know, you have to go do whatever you decompress, take your shower, whatever it is that you need to do to be a real person and come back. That's permissible too, but it's still acknowledging that other person uh, is a real human being with me, right? Hmm. Well, and if you don't mind, I'd love to just ask you for just a couple minutes to talk a little bit about what you and Leslie have learned, you know, in 30 plus years. I mean, that's a lot to do in just a few minutes, but if there is something that like you guys look back on now, do you ever talk about, you know, what you wish that you would have known or what were some of the biggest things that you can now say are crucial to a healthy relationship? 
Well, in, in that book I mentioned earlier, uh, in our time together here, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, the very first sentence says, we never had pre-marriage counseling, but we spent the first year of our marriage in therapy. And that's the truth. We dated for seven, like we were high school, even junior high sweethearts, dated through high school and college and got married. And we never had any outside help before we did that. And so we did spend the first year of our marriage in counseling. And it was such an important thing for us to do. We, we cultivated what we now call honeymoon habits. Things that you learn early in that relationship will tend to stay with you for a long time. And so um, one of those things that uh, we've learned is get outside help when you need it. You know, um, if it's a counselor and, and you guys are in an impasse about something, um, I just I always feel like couples miss out on so much just because they're not getting that little bit of help that they need because, I don't know, there's a stigma or there's a hassle factor or whatever it is that's keeping them from doing that. So whether it's a counselor or a marriage mentor couple um, or a coach or what have you, seek that help when you need it. And uh, th th I think that's probably one of the most important things I can say we've learned over the last 30 years of being married together. And the other thing is that time flies so fast. Um, and the things that irritate you um, soon get put into perspective. And you look back, go, I can't believe I got bent out of shape over that. What a, what a dork. Why did I do that? You know? And um, I think that both of us, and I think most couples do this, we know this from research, it's called the inverted bell curve. As things are on the upswing for those couples that or in the second half of marriage, you begin to put so many things in perspectives and the things that used to bother you are just like kind of endearing at this point. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that's just how she is. She makes that weird, she sings that weird song while she's making a salad every night. It used to drive me nuts. I kind of like it now. You know, it's those kinds of whatever, I'm making that up. That example, Leslie doesn't do that, but <laughs> you, you get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's true. No, I I mean, even just being married 20 years, I think that's some of the conversations that Matt and I have had looking back is, you know, some of the wounding that can happen over something that really ends up being a small thing comparatively, yeah. you know, and if we would have had the skills, if we would have had the knowledge or the help even to be able to navigate those conversations a little bit more carefully. You know, you talked about that 15 seconds in your marriage being that holy ground kind of place. You know, if we could have just um, treated our relationship that way as well back then and not have um, chosen to do say some of those hurtful words yeah. or, you know, it really does go fast. And those are the things that you look back on and wish you could have done something a little bit different. And I right. think that again goes back to some of the books that you've put out, some of the help that you guys provide, the assessments that you provide too, to kind of help you navigate having those conversations. That's something I hear a lot from couples too. You and I might actually be pretty talented at communication and working with couples to help them with their communication. But there's a lot of people that say that they struggle with how do I communicate what it is that I need? How do I communicate through conflict? And like you said, getting help gives you those words. And whether it's these assessments or any of the books that you guys have written, you have a great book called The Good Fight, where it talks about conflict, 
there's the saving your marriage before it starts. I love that as well. You have so you even offer devotions that come to your email box to help you with finding those words and communicate where you don't have to find them yourself. It doesn't have to be something you figure out on your own. Yeah, it's true. And if people are interested uh, for that free resource you just mentioned uh, that comes every week, then go to lessandlesley.com. L-E-S, and then the word and, A-N-D, lessonlesley.com, and uh, and subscribe to that for free and find all these other resources that you've been mentioning. But uh, yeah, it, it's so true. Uh, we sometimes, all of us, feel inadequate. Um, and we sometimes feel like, I, I don't have, I, I'm just, it's not good at communication. I hear that all the time. And by the way, it's the it's the number one complaint that couples bring to a counselor is we just don't communicate the way that we'd like to. And that's why we devote a page to communication in the Better Love Assessment. It'll give you your talk style. Everybody's hardwired uniquely for a conversation. And the way you communicate is going to be different than the way your partner communicates. So understanding that about each other is, is vital. Take this once more back to that uh, single word, empathy. Well, I appreciate your time today. Um, I appreciate what you're doing for couples and, and the passion that you have to save marriages. Um, it's something that I think you and I have in common. I just want to kind of point out, and I'm going to let you fill in this as well, but if you are interested in doing the Better Love Assessment, you can find it at betterlove.com. And like he said, um, lesandlesleyparrot.com is a place where you can find out more. I'm sorry, lesandlesley.com is where you can find more about some of the books that they've written, the assessments, including the Better Love Assessment, the devotions. There's so many great videos on, I mean, so many great topics covering everything from conflict to in-laws to money to sex. All of that is on their site. And I also want to point out, if you want to do a quick shout out to your new assessment called Yada, I know that there might be some parents of service members that are listening to this um, or those that, like you said, are brand new to the military and you're not married, um, or maybe you're about to get married and your new assessment called Yada, it's Y-A-D-A, is another new assessment that really helps you understand you and what you're looking for in love and marriage. And it's a really beautiful assessment as well to kind of help you navigate finding love in your life. Oh, thanks, Corey. Yeah, that assessment at yada.com, Y-A-D-A, yada is an ancient word that means to know. And so the yada assessment helps you know yourself and know other people and be known by other people. Yada, yada, yada. You know, you know, you know. <laughs> and so uh, the, this, this tool, we really wanted to go upstream. We have a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal and that is to see the divorce rate reduced by a third in our lifetime. And obviously, we've built a lot of resources and books and, and these assessment tools and so forth. But we thought, let's go upstream. Let's catch single adults before they get into a serious relationship, before they make a lifetime commitment uh, to this person so that they can increase their level of awareness and so forth. And so that's what the YADA assessment is for, is for uh, young single adults. 
Well, whether you are maybe new to the military and you're not married or whether you have um, children that are getting to that age where they're dating and maybe they're college age or they're single adults, this is a really, really great assessment for you to be able to start conversations with them. I hear from a lot of veteran couples a lot about parenting through the teen years and then college age when they're starting to look for love in their life. And so I can't recommend on this assessment enough. Um, I think it's hugely important as parents that we are able to have those kind of conversations with our adult children, um, especially if you are, um, you're the expert in their life, whether you've made mistakes in your relationship or not, you are the person they have seen love other people. And it's, it's a great opportunity that we have to continue to raise them up and have those conversations about how to love another person, how to um, engage marriage and, and have an understanding and a good sober understanding of what marriage looks like. So I'm so thankful for you, Dr. Parrott, for your friendship, for what you are doing for couples um, and for giving us some of your time today to talk a little bit about what you know about what makes a marriage succeed. So thank you so much for your time. Well, let me just say there's certain people that you know when you meet them, they're the real deal. And uh, I felt that way the first time we had a connection and I learned what you were doing first responders and your heart and your passion for doing that and so it's just an honor Corey to be on your program with you today and talk about this stuff but uh, I have nothing but respect for for your efforts the way you've added value to uh, our efforts on our side of the equation with our team has been phenomenal as well so thanks for for having me on today I really appreciate it Thanks for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or Life Giver, you can find more information at www.coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.